Hello, everybody. You're listening to Action Line on KINY. I am your host, Jordan Lewis, and joining me in the studio, I have Representative Sarah Hannon. How are you doing today? I'm good, Jordan. Good morning and happy birthday. We <laughs> Thank you. I'm sure I think that's the, the fourth time someone has mentioned it's my birthday on air today. So uh, now all of town thoroughly. Actually, I think that would mean all of Southeast thoroughly knows it's my birthday at this point. <laughs> but no, it's great to see you despite the uh, sort of foggy weather. But that's pretty normal Juno weather, though. Yeah, back to the normal. You know, we we had that cold and miserable June and then the stunning July that I think threw us all for a loop of um, how dry it was. But now we're back to our our normal and expecting a very wet derby weekend. Which, I mean, that should work out just fine. Folks should prepare for it to be a bit wet. The fish don't care. Yeah. The fish don't, well, the fish don't care about a lot of things. As someone who studied fish, they don't care about a lot of things. Yes, yeah, they do. They, and of course, they probably do better in the rainy weather than they do in hot, sunny weather when they've got to go deeper and they're con- we're concerned about temperatures in spawning streams. So, you know, back to our southeast weather is good for the fish. It just means um, fishermen need to have the right gear on. That it does. Now, there are a couple of things I want to talk to you about. The first one I want to talk to you about is something that will go into effect next year, from my understanding, which is that that allows the Department of Corrections to issue IDs to folks leaving the carceral system if they don't already have one. Yes. And it, well, and actually, it requires the Department of Corrections to do that. Um, and it's a bill that, you know, like many bills, this was many years in the works, um, all five years that I've been in, it's a topic of uh, a, to- a topical goal. And for the first, my first two terms, um, the Department of Corrections, Department of Administration were working on it. Uh, I learned about the necessity of legal identification at something called a reentry simulation that the Juno Reentry Coalition had here, and I did that in my first year in office. Um, I sat next to Mayor Weldon during it, um, and it's a simulation that reentry groups do across the nation. And um, oh, I, Chief Mercer was there, Senator Keel, and you're given a an identity of of uh, someone who's releasing from prison. So you're given their profile and then um, different assets. You know, some people have money in the bank. Some people still have a family intact. um, Some people have housing to go to. But you need to, in that couple-hour simulation, they they go through a four-week rotation. So you're trying to comply with all the terms of release from prison, whether that's going and having a urine test, checking in with your probation officer, et cetera. And the hurdle, which became eminently clear, was every one of those things required legal identification. So, you know, before you could go check in with your pro officer, you had to have legal identification, a driver's license or a state ID. And if you didn't, you know, you spent all of your time and energy trying to get identification so you could then comply by checking in with your parole officer, taking a urinalysis, going to the bank and withdrawing money, just basic things. And the quandary became that, uh, you know, as I left that simulation, the question was, do we doubt who our people are when they're in prison? No, we're, we're really clear. We, we haven't had cases of false imprisonment in Alaska of people who... You know, Sarah Hannon wasn't in prison as someone else, or someone else wasn't in prison as Sarah Hannon. Yet, when they walk out the door, even though 
corrections would give you a piece of paper that you could go to DMV and you could provide to DMV to get a state ID. There were steps along that way, including you had to have the money. Um, I would say we worked really hard and sort of believed for four years that there was a solution that could be done without a statutory change. Um, when Jen Winkleman, who is the new, who is now the commissioner of corrections, and she had come through that department as a career person working in probation and parole and programming, and she kept working on this. And when she became uh, commissioner, she already had in place the systems to make this happen, to get the identification printers in place, to have them. Um, sanctioned as legal identification, et cetera. So what this bill has done is placed into statute the practice that the Department of Corrections is now doing, making sure everyone is leaving with a legally identifiable state ID that's not a piece of paper. Um, and, and of course, it doesn't give you a driver's license if you didn't have one or if yours expired, um, but allows you to leave with a piece of legal identification. So your first hurdle coming out of prison does not have to be, how do I get identification? But it can be those pathways to, how do I get to the bank? How do I get to my parole officer? How do I take a UA? How do I get into my treatment program or housing or all those other things that require ID? Um, but... It, it won't actually change the practice that the Department of Corrections has had for the last few months, but it's putting into statute. So if and when this commissioner changes, uh, a different administrator can't just stop doing what became their practice. And um, Commissioner Winkleman has been supportive of it. The bill was sponsored on the Senate side by Senator Myers from Fairbanks and on the House side by, Senator, or by Representative Gray from Anchorage. Um, and it's one of those bills that as people learn about it, wherever you are on the um, corrections, uh, public safety uh, spectrum, spectrum. <laughs> everyone comes to understand pretty quickly that this is a step forward, that we should make hurdles and steps of compliance should not be artificial hurdles just for the sake of being a bureaucracy, that they need to be meaningful. And so... Um, I always want to make sure and applaud Commissioner Winkleman's leadership on this, even before she was commissioner, to make sure that it was happening. But it really comes out of the advocacy of reentry coalition groups across the state saying, um, this is a hurdle that is just meaningless, and let's make sure that we have people on the path to not reoffend. That's the goal. You know, if you can't get out and get housing and get a job, um, the chance of failing at reentering society increase. So, um. gotcha. And even hearing you sort of describing it now, and then me going through it a couple of days ago, you would think that such a thing would have already been in place because that would have allowed for decreases in recidivism, which is one of the express goals, and would allow for greater rehabilitation. And then that wasn't actually there until you know with this bill. Yeah. Well. Before the bill, because again, the Department of Corrections had come around to doing it and working through it. But over the last four years, a couple of things, that, you know, uh, Department of Motor Vehicles, for instance, they don't make policy, right? They administer identifications according to state statute, and they're part of the Department of Administration. And we kind of hit a roadblock with the Department of Administration had said, you know, our hands are tied. We're not required to. We get into the 
uh, issues around federal identification. They went as far, Department of Administration, one of the commissioners back, had went as far as saying, you know, oh, the equipment for laminating the identifications and having them be secure. And that's where Commissioner Winkleman at Correction says, you know, we have to have these um, very secure identifications for all of our employees. So we've, we've got the equipment. Now let's make it useful for this purpose also. So she really fought sort of the bureaucratic stops where people went, well, that's as far as we can go with this. There's a hurdle and, you know, the bureaucracy stopped from changing it. Um, But again, we made sure that this bill in passing wasn't creating a new hurdle or a new expense even for the Department of Corrections. This is one of those bills that's costing nothing to implement because corrections had already figured out um, how to make it go forward. But only because you had people in the lead uh, talking about recidivism and reentry and pushing that and then a problem solver saying, this is a surmountable problem. We, we, can, we, can, we do not have to have this hurdle stop this. And if our goal is successful reintegration into communities, it's stupid to have a hurdle that forestalls, you know, to get out of jail and not be able to get your money from the bank or visit your parole officer and have that count has got to just be so deflating, um, deflating, you know, that you, you couldn't take the next step if you just keep getting knocked down. So absolutely, it, I believe it will help reduce recidivism and success rates for people exiting prison. Gotcha. And I think you hit a lot of key points there. It's like, yeah, it's, you just shouldn't have to have that extra bureaucratic step to do these things that you're trying to do to make sure you can properly reintegrate with society. And I think that, you know, seeing that this will go into effect, I think that it is a very important step. Of course, we don't want people to think you're going full, full corrections reform. Now, that can be a dicey subject for some. But, you know, it is an important thing to see. However, we are actually about to be out of time for this part of the show. When we come back, we will talk maybe a little bit more about that and then talk about some things in relation to education. You are listening to Action Line on KINY. And welcome back to Action Line on KINY. Joining me still, I have Representative Sarah Hannon. And during the first half of the show, we talked a lot about that bill that will go into effect next year that will be requiring the DOC to issue those state IDs for folks when they leave the system. And... I very much enjoyed that conversation, but there is another very big one I wanted to hit with you, and that's revolving around uh, DEED, the Department of Education and Early Development, and they had sent a letter to the Juno School District, which I talked with Senator Keel about, as well as the new superintendent, uh, Frank Hauser, about as well, and I want to get your thoughts on that as well. Well, Edu, there are several things that have struck us as unusual. One... The Juno School District got the, got the letter separate from all other school districts in the state. So, um, fifty three school districts. So Juno School District gets one that says you're out of compliance um, with funding levels of money that you fund, and the 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 jargon we use is outside the cap, um, and then that relates to the federal disparity test between. The lowest funded school districts and the highest funded school districts and what monies local governments put in in addition to the state monies, right? Because the state has an obligation to fund education and then the federal government says you can't let uh, a rich suburban school district give you three times the money and let a poor uh, urban school district not get funded. 
Um, Juno has happen, happens to be a district where we have always funded to the maximum level outside the cap. Um, and those are supposed to be expenses that do not relate to classroom instruction and education. So, for instance, school activities have been funded outside the, the cap. Um, and the letter pointed out and said your community schools program, your rally program, after school day, daycare, um, and both of those are programs in which participants pay for that service, right? Um, but the, the city kicks in by paying for the heat of the building and keeping it functional. So you're paying for your community school's class for that instructor's time, but you're not paying for the heat on the building. Right. So, um, and transportation. Well, once Juno responded to Deed and said, wait a minute, why, what, uh, what are we doing wrong? And we understood that we were in compliance for, with your guidance from this winter and from um, questions were brought to the federal government. Then a very similar letter went to all school districts in the state who have any funding outside the cap and said the same thing they said to Juno. So, but it was about two weeks later, um, and there still isn't a very good explanation. Juno School District, um, our school board, um, our CFO, working with Deed to get an understanding of what has changed. Why are they interpreting what the federal disparity restraints had been into costs that had previously not been considered part of it. Um, now, I will admit that's almost the entirety of my knowledge because we get pretty detailed into the federal disparity test and there are people who's, whose jobs it is to talk about it. And I would say um, on the school board, um, both uh, Dee Dee Sorensen, who's chair, and Will Muldoon, who's on it, are very articulate, can go through the details of what's in the disparity test and how those measures and then the percentage range difference between the lowest funded school district and the highest funded. Um, but it has brought a lot of questions. Um, there is also an intersect with the veto of some education monies because the cap moves in relation to how much the state is giving. So if the state is giving more money, then the cap moves up because it's a percentage. So by the vetoes that we experienced in June, when I, um, that means that the cap has to come down too. So there's sort of a double whammy, even though the city assembly here in Juneau and the school board had expected a variety of expenses to be able to be covered outside the BSA funding under the cap. That all has to be cut down because our BSA contribution has been cut back. So it's all, it's all a connected issue. For yeah. Me. Yeah. That's what it's been sounding like. And, and I think you make a very good point of pointing out that it was only the Juno school district that got sent the letter, which is very, I will say interesting. It was very interesting. And, and, you know, our school board, they were the ones who brought that to light immediately by, you know, our, our, I think probably our superintendent calling under other superintendents and saying, did you get a similar letter? Or, you know, what, why us? What, what are we doing different than other local governments that are funding um, outside of BSA funding? And then found out 
we were the only one, but then two weeks later, everybody else got the same letter. So, makes you wonder why there's the time gap there. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that warrants even further investigation. I'll have to see if I can get someone from the department in here. Although, I will... Yeah. We'll see how that plays out. Well, and I guess I would always say, remember that many of the employees, state employees, who are not uh, appointed, um, that are not exempt positions... They work at the direction of someone else. So if your boss has told you to send this letter or to account for money this way, um, as a state employee, you're, you have to carry that out. So um, I really think it, you know, it's a question for the new commissioner nominee of, of education who would probably say, well, I wasn't at the helm, um, but I'd like to hear from the higher ups at the executive branch why this happened. Not the people who actually had to send the letters. No, I agree with you there. They, uh, the people who are sending letters, to borrow a turn of phrase, are a cog in the bureaucratic machine. They are the ones that are just doing what they've been told to do. They're not the ones making the decision there. Yeah. No, but it definitely warrants further investigation, so I'll have to get on that and see who I can get in touch with there. That might, that, that might be a future show for anyone interested in that. I'll see what I can finagle there to use that kind of terminology. Now... I'm going to ask you another question, and it's a, it's a question I've asked you before, which is going to just, what are some of the concerns that you've been seeing lately? I know, I'm imagining the biggest one lately would be that we did have that flood here recently. Yeah, yeah, our disaster response. And, and I have to just repeatedly say um, how lucky we are with both how our community responded, our capital city fire rescue and police um, that we had no fatalities and no injuries. People who were asked to evacuate did. People mobilized and assisted their neighbors in evacuating. And there is significant loss of property, significant damage to you know, houses along the river that have been destroyed and homes that have suffered significant flood damage. But we have no injuries and fatalities. Um, I had the opportunity Tuesday this week with uh, Wade from the Assembly, Senator Murkowski, Representative Story, myself, um, the new city manager, city engineering, to go up the river with Capital City Fire and Rescue and see the damage from the riverside. And it is uh, horrific and monumental and I'm one of those folks I I have not spent a lot of time on the river and I live on North Douglas so it's not a a view shed that is regular to me and being with folks on the river who could point out where the channel used to be um, how far back comparing it to pictures where things were it's you know awe-inspiring the power of water it's also horrifying and frightening and then just in the last 48 hours, the response from contractors working to secure properties to forestall future damage, you know, to try and keep additional properties from going into the river, um, looking at how they're going to be able to secure debris that is purchased on the precipice of sliding in and keep more debris from going into the river. Um, but one of the things, uh, that I heard and learned three years ago when the fatal mudslide happened in Haines, in learning about disasters and disaster response, one of the adages that came out of that or 
tenets that I heard is when there is a significant disaster, fire, flood, um, it's a decade before you recovered that between your emergency, and we're still in that emergency response phase, right? We are, we've got contractors working with homeowners to just keep further damaging from happening today or before the rains come this weekend. But um, it's going to be a long haul for many of our friends and neighbors. So be considerate, be kind, um, and it, there's, there's a lot of work to do. No, and that's something that I have said a lot as well. You know, there is going to be a lot of work done. I've been, I guess, in the more optimistic turn of phrase of we're in, we are still also in that recovery phase. We're doing those efforts to get those things repaired and fixed up. And it's still going to take us quite some time before we're back to where we want to be. And as much as I do want to continue this conversation, I do always have fun chatting with you. We are about to be out of time. We're out of time, and it's uh, Derby weekend, so... Get a derby a pass and wet a line. Can't kiss a fish if you don't wet a line. That is true. Well, thank you, Representative Hanley, for coming on. It's always fun chatting with you. Good to be with you on your birthday, Jordan. All righty. You've been listening to Action Line on KINY.